you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew Kappenman, and I am one of the church planters on staff here at Salt Church uh, with the hopes with Patrick to go and plant another church within the Salt Network down in Orlando next to UCF. And so we are super excited about that. Um, but that's who I am. I'm excited to get to preach this morning, get to share the word from Exodus chapter 11 through 13, 16, roughly 13, 16. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to that. There's not many things that get me more excited, especially even to preach than to see pictures of college students who have sacrificed their summer, sacrificed jobs, school, whatever it may be, to go and to share the gospel around the world. And so I hope that this morning, as we dive into this passage, as we dive into what uh, this word means to us this morning through the life of the Israelite people, I pray that we see that, that, that picture of obedience, and that that would just resonate in, in our hearts this morning. And so what I'd love to do I love just to sit and pray for a second, and then we'll dive in, if that's okay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. We are so um, overwhelmed. I am so overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy and the joy that you just bestow on your children. Lord, I thank you for pictures of obedience by these, student, by these students just to go and, and to spend their summer in a place where they've never been before, a world that they've never lived in but they're doing it out of, out of obedience, they're doing it out of love, because they know that the gospel is worth it. So Lord, may that teach us this morning. May that just stir our heart as we even enter in the word to study it and to worship together through uh, getting to know you more. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So again, if you have your Bible, we'll start in Exodus chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to talk about the final plague and the exodus out of Egypt, right? Everybody this week, as the pastor staff has looked at me and is like, you're the lucky one that gets to preach this passage, right? When you, when you pick up the book of Exodus, this is one of the passages that you really want to preach uh, as a staff at a church, and I'm the lucky one that gets to do that. And so we're going to jump into it this morning. So as we continue through the book of Exodus, as we have been going through as a church, um, I'm going to jump in right after what Stephen talked about last week. He was walking through all the plagues, right? There's so many of them, uh, and we just kind of really ran through them so that we can get done in time. But the ninth plague last week was what? Total darkness throughout the land. When we think about that ninth plague, we think about a total darkness, a stillness, like there has never been before. Something that has really never felt this way. Have you ever felt that kind of feeling, being in complete darkness, where you really don't even have an orientation of where you are? Have you ever been in a situation like that before? I'm country, so I love to hunt. And I remember one specific morning where I felt that way. I like to walk to, into the woods. I don't like using a flashlight. I'm weird. I just feel like it's going to scare everything. You know, that's just who I am. But I remember one morning, I just kind of make my way through the woods, and there is no moon. It is pitch black dark outside. Like, I even think that morning, like, I would flicker a, a, a flashlight just to know where I was going. But I remember getting to the, the tree that I was. I was climbing the tree, and it was super early. There were still probably 45 minutes before the sun would even rise. But I remember sitting, finally getting up, getting strapped to the tree so I didn't fall out and break my neck. But sitting there, and like, it was completely dark. 
I couldn't even see, like, I'm literally sitting there. I couldn't even see my hand, literally. couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. And the next thing you know, I hear things, like, moving. I'm about 25 foot up in the tree. I hear things walking under me. But in that moment, I was just like, man, this is the craziest thing that I've ever done. I felt kind of hopeless. I was suspended in air. I didn't know really what to do. It was just an unsettling feeling in my body. You just really can't get away from that feeling, right? Those at that time were probably thinking, what can be worse than this? What can be worse than this? Like, there's total darkness. We can't do anything. It's hopeless even to try. What if light never comes back? What if we're in this darkness forever? God is using these plagues to really show Egypt and the Israelite people that really who he is and he deserves to be recognized as the one true God. And we see God throughout scripture use moments like this to really show judgment and toil for redemptive purposes. He's like, what can I do to get the attention of these people? In my house, when all of my kids are running around and acting crazy and they're playing and then they're screaming like, and I'm talking like, hey, 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 and they just won't get me. What I do is I really, I, have a, I can clap really loud. And so I'll just start clapping and everybody's like, they turn and look at me like, what is going on? And Megan's like, stop clapping. <laughs> but God uses these things, as I use that to get the attention of somebody, get the attention of a person, he uses these moments in life to show that, hey, I need your attention. I want to do something in your life. And this is actually what we'll read this morning as we walk through this passage. And what I want you to see in our main idea is that God has a plan to rescue and redeem his people. He is going to use these plagues as a plan to rescue and redeem. And so whether you've read this story a thousand times or whether this is your first time you'll ever see it today, God's faithfulness to his people is a marvelous picture of who he is and a picture of Jesus, the one to come in the future. Let that resonate, that God's faithfulness to his people is a marvelous picture of who he is and Jesus, the one to come. He has a plan. God has made a plan to rescue and redeem. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the passage, and we're not going to read all these verses. Literally, we have chapter 11, 12, and 16 verses in chapter 13 to try to get through. And I could read for 30 minutes just on those passages. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take some passages a little bit at a time, and we're going to walk through them to give the picture of the story, okay? So in chapter 11, verse 1, it said, The Lord said to Moses, I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he'll drive you out from here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the land and the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says about, about at midnight, I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. And from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. And there will be a great cry of anguish through all of the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. 
but against the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl. So that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me saying, get out, you and all you people who will follow you. After that, I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. So what we see here, Moses is basically saying what the last plague is. He's, he's in front of Pharaoh for the very last time, and he, he's explaining to him and his leaders what is about to happen in the final plague. He proclaims to Pharaoh that the firstborn of all things is about to die. Like, this is about to happen. Taking recent history, Pharaoh should probably have listened, right? He should probably know, like, hey, what Moses says is about to happen. Probably should have started believing Moses at this point, that Moses was working under the power of God. So Moses is saying, Pharaoh, this is about to happen. God's going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to judge. And the firstborn of everything will die. From your son to the firstborn of the livestock, from everything. And when you start talking about the firstborn in Scripture, it's pretty significant. The firstborn is a pretty significant thing when it comes to a family in that time age. It's significant in our time age, right? In their time, it's like, you know, the firstborn was the heir. It's the name bearer, the one who's going to carry on our lineage, Right? And so when you start hearing these words throughout Scripture, Moses would be hoping that, hey, please get the attention of Pharaoh when I start saying these things. It's a pretty significant deal when your firstborn child is at stake. If you're a parent in the room, you know this feeling. I can remember sitting in the hospital room at this moment and seeing my daughter being born, my firstborn child. And all the emotions that flooded into my heart and like all those feelings that you get. That's my child. That's my firstborn. What am I going to (laughs) do? So when we start using language like this, like this is a pretty significant statement that Moses is like, hey, if you don't let our people go, like the firstborn of everything in your land is about to die. And the purposes and the pictures of this can go so far. If you really want to dive into scripture, we just don't have time to do that all today. But I want you to know how significant this statement was. Then we see Moses as he just talks about how there's going to be favor in the eyes of the Israelite people with the Egyptians. But when he gets to verse 6 and 7, he says, There will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may that know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Moses tells Pharaoh that tonight you're going to hear cries of all of your people. It will be a cry like you have never heard before. Man, I can't even imagine what that would have sounded like. Can't even imagine the cries coming out from all of the homes as this event is taking place. It's gonna be something that you would never hear, you've never heard before, and what Moses says is that you'll never hear anything again like it. 
Moses is saying, you have been silencing the cry of my people for so long, but you will not be able to silence this. You will know who the one true God is. Moses has to throw in as well, hey, you're going to hear the cries of your people, but you won't even hear a dog snarl from the Israelite people. You will know that our God is the protector of who we are. He is the one who controls light and darkness. He is the one who's over life and death. Moses is trying to get the attention of Pharaoh. He's like, just please listen. Grasp what is about to happen. You think darkness is bad? You think not being able to see and get around is bad? It has nothing on this. Wait till it really hits home, and it is literally about to hit your home. The Egyptians were so consumed with their gods and what they wanted and how they wanted to live that they couldn't even see the one true God that was trying to get their attention. I would love to say if I was in their shoes after all of these things happening, it would have gotten my attention. That I would like to say that, yep, the God that you worship is the one true God, but it's just not sitting well. And in verse eight, we see that Moses couldn't even handle it anymore. He's sitting in the presence of Pharaoh and he says, after this, I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence fiercely angry. Fiercely angry. Probably because as he was sharing this with Pharaoh, if you just kind of kind of picture this and reading this, as you read stories like this, I love it because I like start painting pictures in my brain of what that room looked like, you know, kind of putting it together. Moses sitting in that room or standing in that room and Pharaoh's sitting there looking at Moses as he's proclaiming this and Pharaoh is just with all the pride over his face and his whole body like, what you're saying is not true. I don't believe you. Even after all of these things have happened. Have you ever been in the presence of someone like that before? Be honest, like we all been around that one person, Right? So full of pride, just, just, just full of pride that they only hear their own words, right? It is infuriating. When you're in that moment, that, that, that smug look, that, that blatant disrespect, you're just thinking like, I just want to put you in your place, right? Am I the only one? Like, come on, am I preaching to myself here? But can you imagine Moses sitting there with this thing? He's like, just trust me. You've seen all these things. Well, it's about to happen to Pharaoh. God is about to put him in his place and God's sovereignty is going to be on display for every single one of us. And what we need to see as we look at this passage, what we need to see and know is that we are just like that to God at points in our life or maybe have been that way for our, our entire lives. That we look to God and said, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to know what's best for my life? I have this under control. I know what job I need to take. I know how to raise my kids. I need to know what major to, to, to pursue in college. I have this under control, God. I do not need you. And God looks down on us and our smug hearts and his hoping that we do not fall into the same mistake that Pharaoh did. It's like, would you please just see me? Pharaoh did not turn to him. Many of us do not turn to him. Many of us just think that we do know what's best for our lives. 
And in verse 10, we see Pharaoh's heart again. Moses says in verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. And at this moment, we've seen that word hardened so many times over the past couple weeks. Plague happens, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plague happens, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And at this moment, in this context, and the word that is being used here in in scripture is meaning that his heart is being seized. It's being seized. And what is it being seized by? It's being seized by his own desires. That his heart was hardening because Pharaoh was so consumed with his own desires that he couldn't see God in front of him. So Moses leaves and he is given God's plan. It's like, okay, here's here's what's going to happen. I said that you won't even hear a cry from my people. So how is that going to work? What is going to happen? So the Lord said in in chapter 12, as we continue to walk through the passage, chapter 12, and we'll go 1 through 14, and then we'll sit here for a second. Chapter 12, verse 1, it said, The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock, according to their father's families, and one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest house are to select one based on their combined number of people, and you should apportion the animal according to each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You make it to from. Uh, you may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Its head as well as its legs and its inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed, be ready. Uh, you must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your fa- feet and your staff in your hand. And you are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be the distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. And so here we see that Moses is given the instructions for the Passover. It's like, Moses, this is what you need to do tonight. You need to be really have this done to have it ready. Because you need to have this ready because guess what? This event, this plague is going to change the history of your people, my people. This is going to change the history of the Israelite people. So much, as you even look at the very first couple of verses of that passage, so much that it's going to change, it even changes their whole calendar. Saying, so, you no, know, we're going to switch this up. For you to understand that you need to remember this day 
We're going to change your calendar. This is going to be at the first month of the, of the year for you on the specific day so that you remember every year what he is about to do. We have Memorial Day tomorrow, right? So we have a Memorial Day for a reason, right? So every year that we look back to all those people who served and fought in order so that we may have the freedoms that we have, right? It's just a small, it's a big holiday for us, but just a small holiday in regards to what this looks like for the Israelite people. He's going to change history. And so he first gives the instructions to, to Moses of what we just see, uh, just saw in the, in the passage. And then later on, he's going to give the instructions to the people. We're not going to read it twice just for time's sake. But I can't even imagine what that day would have been like. As he's been given the instructions to the people. Hey, this is what we need to do, right? We got to pick this lamb. We've got to kill it. We've got to cook it right. We have to cook it with certain things. You can't have yeast in your bread you can't you know you have to cook with bitter herbs you have to have all these things i can't even imagine like just the friend of like all the people trying to get ready right you think it's crazy in your kitchen on thanksgiving day i know it's like that in my family like man there's people running around everywhere and just the smells of goodness is coming out right it has nothing on this in the preparation of what is going on in their lives just think about the history of what is happening just think about what the Israelite people have gone through. And Moses is telling them to say, hey, tonight's the night, guys. We do this. If you are ready, we will be free. Can you imagine the anticipation? Can you imagine what that would be like? Is God really going to do this? Are we really going to be free? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to do these things to trust him? My firstborn child's life is at stake. Am I going to do this? And to be honest, I'm like this when it comes to church planning. I look at the state, I look at what's going on, I'm like, man, Lord, like, are you really going to do this? I look at the 2 million people in Orlando. I look at the 70,000 plus or whatever of students in Orlando. I'm like, Lord, are you really going to do this? But I know as I read stories like this, that I can put my faith in God because I know that he does. And that's what the Israelite people are doing. They're hearing this anticipation is going on. These verses are filled with imagery that automatically point our eyes to Jesus. That they have, are filled with hope for the present and we are filled with hope for us today with what this gives us a picture of. As God is revealing his plan to save the Israelites' people, he is giving us a picture of a plan to save us. All the way back in the Old Testament, we wouldn't even think that it would be there. And so we look at what they're to do. They're, they're supposed to find an unblemished lamb or goat. Each family is supposed to, they're supposed to find their own animal. And if their family is too small, then they're supposed to get with their neighbor, right, and have a cookout. And they're supposed to kill it. They're supposed to put its blood on the doorpost and the lentil so that God, when he made his way through Egypt, he would pass over their homes. Israel needed a spotless, unblemished sacrifice for God not to judge their home. Just as they need a spotless sacrifice, so do we. 
Just as they needed it, so do we. So they put their belief in God in the Passover by putting blood on their lintel and on their, do- their doorpost. We put our faith in God by trusting that Jesus' blood has covered us. And I love to look at Romans 3, 23 through 25 when I think about this because it just speaks over every single person in this room. And it says that for all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single person in this room do not, does not deserve to be passed over. Our place puts us into position that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in verse 24 and 25, we see a great picture of Jesus. It says, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a mercy seat and by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. And because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. That he passes over our sin, past, present, and future, so that we may live. The Israelite people needed the blood to cover them. We need the blood to cover us. So they are supposed to find an unblemished lamb or goat. They are supposed to prepare the food. And this food was to be fully cooked, cooked with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. It needed to be unleavened, no yeast in it, right? Because it didn't have time to rise. They didn't have the time. God's like, no, I'm doing this. It's time to get it going. It's not going to taste great. There's no yeast in it. And on top of that, you're supposed to make it with bitter herbs. I know some of y'all in here are crazy. And y'all like dark chocolate and black coffee and all these bitter foods and stuff. But this is not a meal that I would be looking forward to, right? Because when I am in my house and my wife, Megan, she'll sometimes like put some bread out to let it rise. It has yeast in it and it rises and I like walk through the kitchen every day and you can just see it growing. And I just know, oh, that's going to be so good. <laughs> going to put it in the oven and put some hot butter and some honey on it. Anybody been to Lambert's before? They throw those hot rolls at you. Those are yeast rolls, right? Those are so good. But that's not how this meal was going to be. He's like, no, you're going to cook it with unleavened bread. You're going to have bitter herbs. This is not going to be great, but it's going to be fast. And most theologians would say about the bitterness is that the reason behind this bitterness is to remind Israelites of the bitterness of which they came from. As you take this meal every single year, God was wanting the Israelite people to remember Hey, as you're eating this not-so-great bread, remember how not-so-great your life was before I rescued you. Remember what I did for you. May we be reminded of the same. And may we know what we have been saved from. This bitterness of this world. The bitterness of feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling lonely, feeling empty, feeling without any purpose or or any kind of direction in life, all those things that happen that separates us from who God is. A theologian, Thomas Watson, wrote this. He said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until we realize what we have been saved from, Christ will not be sweet. He will not be the the essence of who we are. I love when we're talking with people about training people on how to evangelize and how to walk with people. 
I always tell them before we go out, hey, remember what Christ saved you from? Because as you're talking to people, it will even be so much more real for them. So till sin be better, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Not only does he say this, as of having the unblemished lamb or goat, says, hey, you cook with unleavened bread, how to prepare it, and, and bitter herbs. He says, be prepared to leave. And if you look at verses 11 through 14 again, or 11 through 13, it says, here you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover because I will pass over the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. They were to be dressed for travel, have their sandals on their feet and their staff in their one hand and the bowl in the other hand, right? That's my paraphrase. You're going to be eating, ready to go. This truly does remind me of like Thanksgiving Day in my life. Thanksgiving days, if, you, if you're not um, normal like of a Thanksgiving week in uh, the South, is Thanksgiving is when all the hunting takes place, right? I've already shared a story about that. But on Thanksgiving Day, everything revolves around the schedule of when people are actually going to be in the woods. You don't cook breakfast at a certain time. You don't cook lunch at a certain time. You sure don't cook dinner at a certain time because all the people in the house are going to be want to be in the woods. But even when you're eating, 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 starting to talk about country things, guys, and I'm like reverting back. <laughs> even while you're eating, you have your camo on, all your stuff sitting at the door. You're ready to just to like shove it down, grab like a piece of pie and like walk out the door. Be prepared to leave is what Moses is saying. Be, we're being told to be ready. I'm about to deliver you. I'm about to deliver my people. They will be rescued. And if you trust me, then you'll be ready. If you trust me, then you will be ready. Do we have this same mindset? Are we ready to go? Are we ready to leave this place? Because it can happen at a moment. We can be taken out of this world right now in this room before we walk out the door, or we could live for another hundred years. Whatever the Lord wants, he's saying it will happen, but are we ready to go? God has given them a plan of how to be rescued from the suppression of the Egyptians. He's given them a plan, and they are to be ready. God has given us a plan to be rescued from the oppression of sin in our lives. Are we ready? God sent Jesus on our behalf so that we have a plan to be ready to leave this world, and it can happen in a blink of an eye. Christ has been revealed. He's done everything in order to that so that we may be saved, and that can happen today. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 tells us just that. For he says, in an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See now is the, see now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that we need to know what Christ did on the cross for us. That because of his blood, that we can be covered by it so that we might not spend eternity away from him. And all we have to do is put our faith in what he did on the cross. So I pray this morning as we read this story, I pray that as we look at this passage and know what God did for the Israelites, that God has done something in order for us so that we may live. And do not leave this morning without knowing that. In verses 29 through 42 of chapter 12, 
as I'll read it quickly, we see the exodus happen. It said, and now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn man in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all the officials and the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go and worship the Lord you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you've asked and leave, and also bless me. Right. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we are all going to die. So the people took their own, their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls, wrapped it in their clothes, on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for, soul, for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkoth. About 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families, a mixed crowd also went up with them along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves since they had no yeast. For when they were driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared provisions for themselves. The time of the Israelites that lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years on that same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night of vigil and honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. So God did just what he said he was going to do. There was a loud wailing throughout the land because not one house was unaffected by this plague, right? There was not one house without someone dead, it says. God was delivering his people, <clears throat> excuse me, from captivity of the Egyptians, and they were no longer slaves. And they were no longer being oppressed by these people. And throughout this passage, Moses has given these instructions to the Israelites, and those who followed them um, were told that, like we see that it's not just for the Israelite people. As they walked out, it says that there was a mixed group of people. And it said about 600,000 able-bodied men. The rough count of people that were leaving this place was around 2 million. Can you imagine what that was like trying to get out of this place? This mass group of people? He's like, hey, get out now. I'm telling you to leave. And it's kind of like a, a, a gravestone at the end of uh, the passage where it's like, hey, the time of the Israelites was 430 years. This is when it ended. This was the end of their life in captivity. If we continue to walk through the passage, we see as Moses is giving this, uh, the instructions of like what the Passover should look like for the future. He says, hey, all right, we need to know this. I've taken you out. There's some people with you. Who gets to take the Passover? In verse 45, it says, as a temporary, temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat the Passover. Like, okay, these people have come with you. This is for my people. But I'll give instruction for those who are not my people in order to, to celebrate this because in verse 47, it says, who may celebrate it? It says the whole community of Israel must celebrate it. So how do you become a part of this community? So anyone not uh, Israelites, how, if they're believing in God, they're running out with the Israelites. No, like I, I truly believe your God is the God. What do I do now? 
In verse 48 and 49, it says, if an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised and then he may participate and he will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. The same law will apply both to the native and the alien who resides among you. It's like, hey, if you are circumcised, then you're as a native to me. You are saying that as you do this, you're saying that you believe in God of this universe. What a picture for us this morning as we walk through this. That circumcision in this Old Testament passage shows that their belief in God and their willingness to follow God, to guide and to direct them. And as we look to what we have been given in the New Testament as baptism for us, for us to show that, hey, that is our belief in God, that Christ died for us and he is worthy to guide and direct us. And we are all called to remember these things. If you jump back to chapter 12, verse 14. It says, this day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival of the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. In the 13.3, if you go into chapter 13, verse 3, he says, then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand, nothing leaven may be eaten. I was like, the reason why you're free is because I brought you out of it. Nothing that you did, nothing in the way that you prepared, nothing in the, all those things are happening. These are the things that I've asked you to do, but it's by my hand that you're free. This scary time, this first Passover ought to be a memorial for them, a way to remember how God rescued and redeemed them from bondage. Jesus instituted the first Lord's Supper during the Passover meal. As Jesus and his disciples were sitting around that table, looking back at God's faithfulness to his people, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he guided and led them, is when Jesus ordered them to look back at what he was about to do on the cross. He said, I want you to look back at my faithfulness that I'm about to do on your behalf, and I want you to remember this. Remember this time. We have the joy, if you even look at the stage, that we get to partake in that this morning. That as a believer, we get to look back at what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. Because as I read and listened to others about this passage this week, one statement really stood out to me the most. That one statement just really just kind of kept resonating in my heart. And it's just such a simple statement that I, that I know and that I, it's a truth that, that I've always thought of and, and just let rest on my heart. But as I ran it through the lens of the Israelite people then, as I ran it through my lens today, I'm just extremely grateful. But a pastor on a podcast said this. He said, Israelites' biggest problem was not that Egypt was their oppressor or that they were being oppressed in Egypt. Israel's biggest problem was not Egypt and the oppression there. Their biggest problem was their separation from God. All the hurt, the struggle, the pain, the death, all those things were terrible. But that was not Israel's biggest problem. Their biggest problem 
was that they were not in the presence of God. Their biggest problem is our biggest problem. Their sin and our sin completely separates us from God. Just as they needed blood to cover their, their doorposts and their house that the Lord may pass over them, we need Jesus' blood to cover us and to bring us back to him. What gives us assurance in that, that that has happened, is as we circle back to the main idea of what we said already. Just as God had a plan to rescue and redeem the Israelites from Egypt, before the foundations of this world, God had a plan to rescue and redeem us from sin, and his name is Jesus. May we remember that this morning. As the band comes up, as we sing, and as we partake in the Lord's Supper, may we remember that. May we know that as we look at this story, and we look at how crazy it is and how, how much had to happen and what the Israelites had to do, that all of that was a part of God's plan. He had them for a purpose, in there for a purpose and for a reason, and he rescued them. He has a plan and a purpose for us. It doesn't matter where we are in life right now, whether we're eight years old or 78 years old, that Jesus' blood has come and to cover us, and we all have the opportunity to know him and have faith in him in that way. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you. I thank you for this story. I thank you how it teaches us and, and guides us to look back at what you have done for your people. Lord, even in the midst of a, a crazy story like this, looking at the final plague of this, this, this passage and knowing that it was the worst one of them all, and Lord, that we look back and we're like, Lord, why would Pharaoh not let God's people go? All these things have happened already. And then God followed through with judgment on Egypt to get their attention. Lord, everything that we go through in life is to get our attention, to see who you are so that we may run to you and know that you sent Jesus to rescue and redeem us. Lord, I pray that we would not let this morning pass by without really wrestling with that question and knowing that we have a true belief in who you are and that you have saved us. Well, we need you. We can't live this world without you. Well, we do not want to be separated from you. Well, may we sit in your presence. May we know who you are. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.